With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Chaos, I'm telling you, Big Ten announcing that they will not play non-conference games. And this leaves the rest of the Power Five conferences scurrying around trying to figure out what to do. Now, you know the society that we live in, and the next greatest thing is the next greatest thing. So now everyone's jumping on to the, hey, let's not play our conference game bandwagon. And man, this thing is going to become a big, big mess before it gets any better. And Here's the thing. We, we don't have a lot to talk about this because we don't have a lot of information other than knowing that the Big Ten is not going to play non-conference games. That will affect the Big 12. Most notably, Iowa State not going to play Iowa for the Cyhawk Trophy. So there's that rivalry thrown out the window for 2020. But can this trickle down to other conferences? I mean, there's so many questions. Rich, it's all questions because... If you're the Big Ten, does that mean you're only playing nine games or eight games? If you're the Big 12, do you get to play all 12 games? And then you got like two games, three games, a head start on Ryan Day and Ohio State. Clemson and Ohio State, the two best teams in the country. Clemson, if the ACC keeps their non-conference schedule, they get three tune-up days. I mean, I guess what I'm saying is Ryan Day going to complain now? Hey, well, these guys got to play these non-conference games, and I didn't. What happens if you lose a non-conference game? What happens if you have a high-profile non-conference game and you lose it now and there's a Big Ten team sitting there, there's a there's a Penn State, and they've only got one loss and you got two losses because you played a non-conference game, does Penn State possibly get a nod over you because they didn't play non-conference? What about this? You know, the Big 12 is the only conference in America that plays everybody. Oklahoma will play all other nine members of the Big 12. ACC can't say that. Big 12 can't, or the Big 10 can't say that. The SEC can't say that. So is it possible for the SEC, the ACC, the Big 10, if they decide to cut non-conference games, can they play a 12-game conference schedule? What kind of can of worms does that open up? Welcome to the world of trying to have a football season in the COVID era. I have some some bigger concerns here outside of just the 2020 season. Well, I, 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 I'm going to let you finish your thought, but I got one giant concern as to why this won't work. But go ahead. Mm-hmm. All I'm saying, when, when we begin to look on the surface here of what's actually transpiring in the Big, tw- Big Ten, excuse me, and the cancellation of non-conference games, I do expect the rest of the Power Five conferences, so the other four, to follow suit. It's how it's happened in the past. It's how I expect things to happen in the future. And this instance is no different. When I look at the Big Ten and what they're doing, I, I always have to ask the question, does money play a role in this? 
We know that the non-conference portion of the schedule is usually a $1 million payout for a smaller school, such as the Ball State, to come play your team in in what many people have termed a, a warm-up game of sorts. All of a sudden, that $1 million payday has been removed from the smaller schools, which means that these larger universities get to keep it. And I get that there's a deficiency in terms of the, the influx of money versus what's going out still at this point in time due to scholarships, things of that nature. Needless to say, you have all of a sudden taken, let's take Oklahoma, for example. You've taken the $14 million and you're basically only going to cut one, one and a half, maybe $2 million back into that budget by canceling the non-conference game. I don't think money's the biggest concern here. I always have to ask that question, though, and say, what role does it really play? Because we know that it's a factor, regardless of how big or how small. When I look at the Power Five and, and what's going on, as I've mentioned, I do expect every single Power Five conference member, um, not school per se, but conferences as a whole, to follow suit with what the Big Ten is doing. And the bigger question that I'm asking here is, is it the beginning of the end of these non-conference or these cupcake games that we've seen up until this point in time? Is it a signal that we could be Moving into this new era where the Power Five only schedules Power Five because we know that they've been granted autonomy to do such things. It just hasn't happened at this point in time. No, I, I don't think it's that at all. I, I think it might be the beginning of the end for the Power Five conferences. And we've, we've there's been the rumor and the scuttlebutt, the talking of these super conferences for quite some time now. And here, here's where all of this becomes the massive headache. You've got the Big Ten taking action, leaving the ACC, the Big 12, and the SEC, just in the Pac-12, all in the kind of in the lurch on how they're going to basically run their college football season. And let's say you're Oklahoma. Let, let's say you're a, let's say you're a lower tier school in the Big 12. Let's say you're a Kansas. Let's say you're an Iowa State, and and you don't get. 87,000 people in your stadium. You don't get the big Saturday night contract games. You don't you don't get the the bulk of the pie from going to the college football playoff. You realize that if you cancel a non-conference game, there is an actual contract that says we're going to pay you $750,000 mm-hmm. to come play us. And now we're not doing that. You're contractually obligated to pay $750,000. Let, let me interrupt here because Missouri State was scheduled to play Oklahoma, and they were moving forward. There there are numerous articles about this, Matt, that said they were moving forward as if they weren't going to receive the $1 million from the football game that they would have received otherwise, assuming it is canceled. Right. You're talking about a season. If the NCAA makes the decision to cancel the season, because you remember, go back to, the, to March, it was the NCAA who made the decision to cancel the NCAA tournament. It was the NCAA that made the decision to cancel the the baseball and softball tournaments. That's an NCAA decision. And if the NCAA shuts everything down, that's one story. But if you as the institution decide, we're going to have a college football season, we're going to play nine games, we're just not Mm -hmm. playing you anymore. I'm sorry, Jack, you owe me money. You know what I'm saying? And that's that's what Oklahoma, if Oklahoma cancels, they owe Missouri State, they owe them money. Now they're probably going to reach a settlement for half of that or whatever. But again, you're if you're if you're the university, you're not receiving any income from that game 
be it pay-per-view, fans in the stands, regular network contracts, and now you got to pay the Bears, Missouri State, you got to pay them $450,000, $600,000. Well, just, that $14 million is just going to increase. Well, then. that's what I'm saying. And and the Big 12, Bob Bosley said today that the Big 12 is, at this point, not planning to to cancel non-conference games. But if you're Iowa State, you got to find an opponent now. Right. And I feel as though when it comes to the scheduling, we have to look at it like a house of cards or, or more like a um, dominoes where you can stack them up one by one. But as soon as one starts to fall, it's only a matter of time before it gets to that next one. It's only a matter of time before it hits that big cluster. I think the Big Ten has started something here. And whatever Bob Bowlesby has said, I think will change in just a few weeks. Well, I, and I don't know that it will. I really don't. Because, again, who do you follow? Who do you? Who is the voice of college football right now? Because Ohio you got, State. Because you got five power conferences. <laughs> Alabama. Well, I'm maybe, I'm totally teasing, but I know that these schools do have pool but, when it comes to the the national title picture, and that's what, what everybody I'm, cares what, about. And that's what I'm saying. So now you're Ohio State. You only got nine games on your schedule, and let's say you drop one of those. Let, let's say you drop that's a rivalry detrimental. game, right? And so now, what do you do if you're the playoff committee? I, I think what we're looking at now is is maybe maybe the the grassroots movement to have somebody in charge you've got your commissioners for your conferences but somebody there has to be a, a clear plan a, across the board and i the, the there's a statement out there i don't want to because i'm going to paraphrase it because i don't want to try to do it word for word there's a statement out there from the athletic director for bowling green they were supposed to play big 10 schools they were supposed to get that paycheck and he's like, look, the FBS has 10 schools who are already committed to working together to make the playoff happen for, I'm sorry, FCS is already working with 10 schools to make the playoff happen. How come we can't work together? How come this upper level, how come FBS, how come we can't make this happen? Why can't we not work together? And so you got the big, the big 10 says, we're going to do this. And then the ACC says, okay, have fun with your nine games. We're playing 12 and a conference champion. Our conference champion will have 13 games under your belt. Big 12, yeah, that's a good idea. SEC, no, we like the nine game. You know, we're going to cut the Citadel off of everyone's schedule. You know, Okay, so now you've got this jumbled pile of crud that if you're the playoff community, you got to sift through. I just it's it's going so, to be a major headache. But in, here's here's we're running out of time for this segment. Here's the you ready for the big monkey wrench? Here's why this won't work. Are you ready for it? Yeah, go for it. Non-conference games. We're not playing non-conference games. You said you think the other four power conferences are going to fall in line. Who's Notre Dame going to play? That's exactly what I was about to ask you. In fact, while you were speaking, I pulled up their um, their schedule for the year just to see how many games we could go ahead and check off of the list that they would not play because of, of the Big Ten. Currently, correct me if I'm wrong here, but that's sitting at one. That's not a huge, huge ordeal. But when the ACC decides right, to do right. it, Notre Dame's schedule, it, it's completely demolished. They have no one to play. So then, so then again, lawsuits... Hey, we're the ACC. We're not going to play our non-conference games. Except I mean, for, except for Notre, Notre Dame. Dame does we'll, have an option. We'll make an exception. No, they're, they're not going to join they a conference could. before could. August. Not before not, August. You're right. Not before August. So, and they wouldn't get on anyone's schedule before right. August and either. And so if you're the ACC or you're that Big Ten team who has Notre Dame, yeah, we're not going to play. We're not going to play non-conference schedules 
Uh, well, except for Notre Dame. So here's the thing. They're saying keep it regional, right? That, that's what the Big Ten is saying. We're going to keep it regional. That's why Which makes sense. Does I understand. How does the Big 12 keep it regional with I West Virginia? I understand the logic. The Big 10 or the Big 12? Well, I'm talking about anybody. Because you said you how call, does the Big 10 well, keep the, it? That's the point I'm making. Is if, So the Big 10, their, their thing is we're going to keep it regional. Okay, well, mm-hmm. the Big 12, that's a great idea. We're going to jump in there. Sorry, West Virginia. Right. For the Big 12, it doesn't make sense. I get the logic from the Big 10 saying we want to limit travel. We want to limit exposures in an attempt to let's let's use a term that we had used previously um, this year in flatten the curve. I I get the logic there. Is it going to work, Matt? That's a completely separate question. And right now I'm, I'm not answering that with a resounding yes. But I do believe I do believe that all Power Five conferences will cancel the non-conference portion of the schedule. Well, the point I'm making with that, though, is you can't keep it regional and play Notre you Dame. You can't. You're absolutely USC right. USC-Notre Dame is a big game every year. Mm-hmm. That's not a regional game. I mean, I just it's it's going to be – Army's the same way. Yeah, well, I mean, Notre Oklahoma, Dame also has Stanford on their list. So not a regional that's game. That's two West Coast games for them. So Oklahoma's supposed to play Army. Well, that's not regional. Right. But if you don't play I mean, Army, who's Army going to play? If, if are they going to play Syracuse and they're going to play Maryland? I don't I, even I mean, know. I don't even know if the players could get to New York now. Yeah, they can. Because that that exam, Here's what a lot of people. This goes back to my job job because I travel. All right. Um, there is an exception to that quarantine rule for New York if you're traveling for business. I mean, you see hypocrisy in everything. If you're traveling for business to New York, you don't have to quarantine. And I would think okay. that with the money that's going to be generated from that game, there's not going to be a – that's a business trip. You know what I'm saying? There, there's no way you're going to write that off as anything other than a business. Now, for Joe Fan to try to go, that's not a business trip for Joe Fan. But for Lincoln Riley and the guys, all business. Okay, so Oklahoma releases its uh, latest data on their COVID test. And then uh, the Texas State Fair, Oklahoma, that's canceled. What's going to happen with OU Texas? And then what about – the band. The band's not going on the road. Does that mean we're not going to the stadium? Much more to come. This is a Sooner Nation podcast. Hey, we've got a uh, segment of True or False coming up here in just a minute. It's Richard's turn to ask me the questions. And in light of all the things going on, I'm very worried about that. Texas announced that the state fair will be canceled for 2020. Oklahoma's already done this, but if you're an Oklahoma football fan, you don't care about the Oklahoma State Fair as much as you care about the Texas State Fair because that's the biggest rivalry game of the year. Now, both athletic directors have said that their goal is to continue to have this game played in Dallas and the preference is at the Cotton Bowl. So, Rich, here's my question to you. The Oklahoma-Texas game is not the only game played at the Cotton Bowl during the football season. It's not. There's other games played there. So that means when the Texas State Fair is not there, there's still other games played there. If there are still fans able to go to the game, even half capacity, so you can take 25,000 Oklahoma fans, 25,000 Texas fans, half capacity, I think the Cotton Bowl, just just to keep things as as close to normal as you possibly can. But if they say, we're going to have a college football season, we're going to do our best to keep, you know, this is the mindset, try to keep everybody safe, everybody happy, everybody comfortable, so no fans. Does it matter if the game's at the Cotton Bowl at that point? Because the, the the nostalgia is is the the venue, and if you in the, the players, right, it's the, the players, unique environment right. though as and the, well. The players don't care; they want to play football, right? 
Mm-hmm. So if I'm Joe Fan and I'm going to this game, I want it at the Cotton Bowl. But if I can't go, I'm going to watch it on TV. Do I really care where this game's held? I don't think you do. So then that you personally is not who I'm speaking for, Joe Fan. Right. I don't think you care where it's played, to be honest. So then, so does that not open up a conversation? Do I call Jerry Jones and say, hey? You know, give us a better venue for this year. Let's try it out. Let's see what happens. Do I do I bring these two athletic directors together and say, you know, crazy things, crazy year, you know, unprecedented times. Oklahoma's the home team. Let's have this game in Norman. How long has it been since this game was on campus? Now, I know the very first thing Texas is going to do is, well, then you got to give us Austin next year. So then that makes two years not in Dallas. I just, it's it's interesting to me what, kind of possibilities bring brings this about uh this brings about and even so going back to what we're talking about at the top of this podcast with the segment is that maybe this is a year where you look at going from four to eight teams in the playoffs or from from four to six and you have a a couple play-in games you know what i'm saying where hey ohio state you're you're eight and one on the on the season but you didn't get your non-conference game so Nine and one, I guess you have a conference championship game. So we're gonna do a playoff. You get to you get to play so and so. Or do you do like uh I don't know. There's just so many possibilities that, you know, do you take five conference championship games and make those the first round of the playoffs, and then you add in an at-large team? I did just so many crazy things that you can do with this season. Because one thing, well, we don't know what's gonna happen at all. What we do know is this will not be normal. This will not be a normal college football season. The only thing I, I wanted to say is to jump back to the beginning of your argument here, looking at the venue when it comes to that still being played in Dallas, a location that's quasi exactly in the middle of these two universities. I know it's off by miles, okay? I, I, I know it's, it's not yeah, an it's exact not yeah. measurement, but the reality of the situation is that these two teams – there will be a game that's played. It will contain the same rivalry. But if if there's no fans in the stands, for any game for that matter, if there are no fans in the stands, you are you piping the noise in? You could give everyone a microphone who's subscribed to the game and pipe that noise no, in from their own. Listen, I, I, I don't know about that. That's actually a good point. I don't know how they get to control that. Um, but I do think, look, if I'm, if I'm Joe Castiglione and I'm thinking about fans not being in the stands, I'm putting together some sort of premium package where you get to hear conversations. Now you're not going to get to hear the play calls or whatever, but instead of Chris Plank running around and doing other stuff, Chris Plank's like telling you like during the whole game, here, here's what, uh, here's what Spencer Rattler just said to Trajan Bridges. Here's what, you know, here's what uh, Kennedy Brooks is saying, you know, are you, know, you, you maybe one graduate assistant coach or somebody with a headset. So you you want them to borrow some ideas from XFL. the XFL. Absolutely. Uh-huh. Yes. That's exactly what I'm saying. There, you've got to get creative because you're going to have to find the income. And there are people out there who are going to watch that game, but they'll pay an extra seven bucks. I mean, Matt, there's people who go to the games live and have a headset on just so they can hear the radio broadcast. Right. It's, it's a very similar concept. Exactly. But offering you a different – some kind of different waveform rather than just what's being broadcast on the radio about the game. Some different voice. I, I get it. I'm with you. That would be interesting 
pass or fail, you could do it for one year. It wouldn't really matter. We're going to do then a lot could, of stuff for one year. I'm, gonna, I'm saying you could scrap it, though. Absolutely. No and, harm, no foul, because in a year of where things aren't normal, I agree, you do have to get creative. But when that creative idea completely flops, guess what? We tried it. It was a one-off. It didn't work. Let's scrap it. By the way, Chris Plank, if you uh, when you when you listen to our podcast and you get that idea, please mention my name uh, as the person who gave it to you. That way, I can maybe get some of the royalties off of it. Probably not. All right, sticking with the theme of things not being normal, the um, the Lubbock Avalanche Journal published an, an article on Monday, basically talking about the the measures and the precautions that Texas tech is putting in place to not have a full capacity crowd. They're, they're planning on not having, I mean, they just, they're not going to have full capacity crowds, but in that article just drops this little nugget of information. And it says, this is the athletic director for the, uh, for the Texas tech red Raiders. And I don't want to pronounce, you know, how I am with names. His first name's Robert. We'll just go with that. Okay. He says this, bands and spirit groups will not travel to road games. That was an agreement reached among and applying to all Big 12 schools. And then the AD goes on to say, we have informed our band and spirit squads that there will be no travel to road games this year. I don't know if the word would be mandate. I just think that all the schools agreed for the safety and social distancing and everything, it would make the most sense. So the Big 12, all 10 schools have already agreed. The band's not going. The Pride is not going on the road. The Roughnecks, not going on the road. The brand new Sooner Schooner, not going on the road. So if they're planning to do this, there's no way, in my mind, 0% chance they're planning to have stadiums at capacity limits. There's no way that Oklahoma, if they get to play Missouri State, in week one, zero chance right now they're planning for 87,000 people. That's the way I look at that. If you've already said, hey, yeah, we're not taking our guys on the road, then you know it's not going to be capacity. And this is a cost-saving measure because when you take the pride of Oklahoma to Lubbock, Texas, you, as the University of Oklahoma, buy those seats at a discounted price. Now, you can only go half capacity. So in Lubbock, that's going to be around 30,000 people. And you're going to give up 200 tickets for the Pride and for the Spirit Squad at a discounted price? No, sir. You want those tickets to be sold at a premium so you can get the biggest bang for your buck on a limited capacity crowd. I'm just saying this means across the board, Big 12 stadiums will not be at full capacity. And if you're a season ticket holder for the University of Oklahoma, you just crossing your fingers and hoping you win the lottery because I don't. How do you how do you fairly select who does and who doesn't go? I mean we've we've had that conversation, and there's no. I don't think there's any right way to answer that. It's a very real reality that's that's about to hit though within a month, I, and within a month this will be a hot topic here in the state of Oklahoma. When it comes to the bands, the spirit squads not traveling, I see your point. I also believe that when you say something will be at X percent capacity to basically give away those seats is to do an injustice to someone who would be paying for those. Because let's be honest, the universities are going to assume the role of paying for those tickets for those individuals to be there. When you, again, 
take X percent, let's just use 50 because it's the number you wanted to use Texas Tech and say 30 and then even condense that a little more and say 200. I think it's more than 200. I think it'd probably be closer to 400 seats that would be taken approximately. There's about by the just a band and a spirit squad. All of a sudden, knowing that what you've mentioned, the premium that would be placed on those tickets to just give those away at a discounted price and to give that to someone who one isn't a part of your local fan base does seem a little bit absurd on the surface. Right. I mean, and that's just the tradition of college football is, is where the band tra- I was so disappointed and this really kind of ticks me off again. If Oklahoma does have their conference uh, season, I was so disappointed when Tennessee came and they didn't bring the band. I am curious to know what people will think because there is a, Uh, a group, there is a, I don't want to say minority or majority of people when it comes to the Oklahoma Sooner fan base, but I do know there are people who have asked me directly the question, why is, why is the band performing at halftime? Like what, what value does that have? Is it just the entertainment value? Am I being entertained or is it to say, Hey, this is halftime. We have to fill it. Go use the bathroom. We'll put something on the field. If you want to stay. It's a tradition, man. There are people, Mm -hmm. there's some, I'm there. I don't want to give away my section. Okay. But there are people who sit directly next to me, near me in my section, who go to the bathroom with about seven minutes left in Mm -hmm. the second quarter. So they're there to see the band at halftime. Yeah, I'm just curious. And the reason I bring that point up, I want to know if those people will change their mind. Because it is an atmosphere thing. Well, it's a tradition thing. How many times, but, but check this out, Matt. How many times... When Oklahoma scores, how many times have you seen someone who doesn't clap their hands when when the band starts playing? To the beat, by the way. Right. Okay, well, those right. who, who that, can't that's, clap that's, off beat. I mean, there's a reason why they're called spirit squads. That, that's right. what their well, job and, is. And that's what I'm saying is I get what you're saying about the tradition, but I'm saying it's it's almost like a natural reaction. It's almost like something that you expect to happen after after Oklahoma scores. It doesn't matter how they score, but you know the band is going to play the song, and you're going to clap your hands to the beats, and then when it gets to the end, you're going to yell and chant. Whatever song is being played, you're going to yell and chant with it. I get a lot of that's led by the student section as well, but when you remove that from the atmosphere, when you remove that from the environment, will those who say, I don't see the point of the bands going to these games, whether it be on the road or even at home, more so on the road is what I'm referencing, but are are we going to have a portion or even a majority of those people of that vocal group saying, Hey, you know what? We were wrong. We do enjoy having the band and we've missed them not being here. Well, I think as an Oklahoma fan, I'm, I don't know that I'm going to miss the band on the road. As an I, Oklahoma, I would miss it in Stillwater. As an Oklahoma fan, I, I would definitely miss year, the band at home. Because on the road, you're hearing the other team's band more than you're here. You're going to hear Boomer Sooner throughout the game, which is endearing to Oklahoma fans. But the reality is you're going to hear the other band more than you hear your band on the road. Now, I would miss them a lot more in Norman than I would miss them on the road. Well, let's Because see. I sit close to the band and... But you're wherever you are in the stadium, you're going to hear the band. And it's I get on the road. It's a condensed band. It's a condensed condensed number of people that are participating in that anyway. Right. Okay. So we got true or false coming up. Plus, we got to talk recruiting. Big big uh, weekend. Fireworks are flying, so to speak. 
For the Sooners, Caleb Williams, Latrell McCutcheon making some noise. <laughs> Latrell McCutcheon making a lot of noise amongst the Texas fan base. We got all that coming up. This is the Sooner Nation podcast. It is officially that time, Matt, for you and I to sit down and have a little chat using some true or false questions, a segment that we started not too long ago and have obviously maintained for the time being. So I'm going to jump right in, hit you with some rapid fire questions. You tell me true or false and explain the why. I'm going to give you just a little bit of a heads up. I'm all over the map with these questions this week. There's so much that has happened, not just at the University of Oklahoma. I know we focused on recruiting pretty heavily here, but there are things that have happened, again, not just in the Big 12, even though I said that, but across the country when it comes to some some topics that I wanted to get your opinion on. So throughout the week, I wrote these down, and here's where I landed, okay? I'm number really, one. I'm really nervous. You I should be. This. I'm really Num- nervous. Number one, Cade Cunningham is the best basketball prospect to ever sign with a Big 12 program. No, that's false. Are you going to explain it? I mean, well, I'm just, I, I, I just... Uh, let, uh, let me back up, well, because here's what you need to know. Kate Cunningham is the, the highest-rated point guard ever right. in the system. Right. At a 9999 rating. Point guard, though. Yeah, point guard. That's Not basketball player. That's point pretty guard. darn high. I look. I have a hard time. Just me. I have a hard time saying this guy's the greatest ever when he's never mm-hmm. played. Well, that's why I'm saying prospect. Is he but the, the I, greatest prospect I, to have signed? I don't know enough about Kansas. I'm sure they've signed some pretty good guys. You know, some some pretty high profile. Oklahoma guys. has too. I mean, Blake uh, Griffin. Well, right. So Trey I just, Young. I I don't I don't know. I I can you. I'm actually speechless here because I can talk more about football recruiting than I can talk about mm-hmm. basketball recruiting. <laughs> but I just, when you talk about, when you look at blue blood programs in basketball like Kansas, I don't know enough about their recruits to say, right. Kate Cunningham is the best prospect ever in the Big 12. Now, if you say Oklahoma State, I'll say true. If you say the state of Oklahoma, I'll say true. And, but across the Big 12, are you kidding me? With When you look at what Kansas has done, when you look at Iowa State back in the day, I just I don't know that I can jump on board with that. Okay. Number two, Nick Saban will retire after winning one more national title with Alabama. In twenty twenty? Or just in I general? don't know if that's twenty twenty. I don't man, I don't think they're gonna win a I, national title this year. No, I don't think honest. so either. I think there's a, a power shift in the SEC that we're watching happen. Um but yeah, I could say if they win one more. I can see that. I'll, I'll go aboard with you know, true. You know, he's one away from holding the record for most national titles yeah. as a head coach. Yeah, I, I, I can. He's old. I mean, he's. He, when I say old, he's he's older. Uh, he's retirement age. He he has. You look at his success. You know, started out in Michigan State and went to LSU, won national championships at LSU, failed in the NFL, but came back and has built Alabama. If he gets one more under his belt at Alabama. I, it would, and here's the thing. I think if he gets one more under his belt, it would probably be the most satisfying, knowing that there, there is a balance of power in the SEC, um, and he's able to get Alabama back to the top. I think yes. I think he would retire very satisfied. So I'm gonna say yes. I am gonna true, switch. I guess I I'm gonna switch true. over. Switch over to Oklahoma. Put Thank you a little you. bit in your comfort yes. zone here. Latrell McCutcheon. I know we want to talk about defensive recruits as a fan base as a whole, and what is Oklahoma doing really to turn a weakness into a strength and potentially win a national championship based upon that very premise of taking what you're you're average at and becoming good or great at. 
when we look at Alex Grinch, I think he's done a phenomenal job of sending out offers, of evaluating that talent as well, but more importantly, actually landing some important recruits. Latrell McCutcheon is one of those. Is he, I shouldn't say is he, but I'm going to make the statement true or false. My bad. Latrell McCutcheon is a bigger deal. Him committing is a bigger deal than what we've made of it at this point. We've made a pretty big deal out of it, so I'm going to say false because there's a reason we've made a big deal out of it. We've written articles about it. We've talked about it on the podcast. I think on the defensive side of the ball, he's probably the most significant commitment right now on the defensive side of the ball, not taken away from anybody who's already committed because right now this class is heavy on defensive commitments. It's something like, uh, some like seven out of 11 players or something like that are defensive commitments. Um, but because of his rank, he's the number six cornerback in the nation. So that's that you talk about high pros prospects, right? The number six corner in the nation and the number one corner in the state of Texas. And, oh yeah, he's from Austin, Texas. This is a big deal. And, and, I think we've made a big deal out of it. So um, at, he went from being committed to Alabama. That's how that's that's the type of quality recruit he is. And Oklahoma, we usually typically lose recruiting battles to Alabama, right? On the defensive side of the ball, right? Well, uh, I get Jason McClellan, right? I mean, on Dolphin, the offensive right. side. So um, because he left Alabama, I mean, he came to Oklahoma, decommitted committed to Oklahoma, was from Austin, Texas, was already talking trash on Twitter with not just Texas fans, but players for the University of Texas. It's a really, really big deal. But I feel like we've made it a bit. I think there's a reason why we've been touting this kid for, what, three months now. So um, big, big deal. Big, big deal. But I think we've recognized that all along. Well, let's piggyback the rise in in defensive prospects for the University of Oklahoma under the direction of Alex Grinch and say Oklahoma will win a national championship in the next three seasons. Absolutely. I'll I'll jump on board and say that's true because they've already had – they've wasted three consecutive years, and really you could say two consecutive years with – well, no, I'm going to go back three consecutive years. Baker Mayfield, two years. Kyler Murray, those are the best offenses in the nation – they were one of the top offensive in, offenses in the nation last year with Jalen Hurts, but they didn't lose. They didn't lose those games, those playoff games, particularly the Alabama and the LSU games. Those games were not lost because of the offense. Those games were lost because of the defense. Now you can you can pick apart that Rose Bowl against Georgia, and you can talk about the squib kick before the half. You can talk about some of the play calling in overtime, and I do believe in that moment. The moment was bigger than Lincoln Riley. But why were they in that moment? Why were they in overtime? Oh, because of the defense. And why did Georgia win? Because the defense gave up a long run in overtime. It this is the Alex Grinch has has proven his merit, I believe, and both both aspects that are important. Recruiting and scheming. We saw this defense improve just in scheming in his first season at the University of Oklahoma, and now we're seeing them improve exponentially in recruiting. So there's there's no reason, no evidence, no reason to suspect Oklahoma is going to take a step backwards offensively, and if they continue to take a step forward defensively, yeah, they're going to win a national championship in the next three years. 
Last one. A little bit of a softball here for you. Oh, man. Softball? You will, No, not softball. No, I mean, I'm just saying a softball question. Those are exactly. some legitimate hard you, questions, and now you're, you you're supposed be, to lead with the softball. You, you personally, will be attending an Oklahoma Sooners football game this season. Yeah, that's true. I believe that there will be fans in the stands. Um, and, well, gosh. Okay. <laughs> okay, l- let me preface this by saying this. If I win the lottery, and I've already paid for my season tickets, so the University of Oklahoma is either going to have to give me $800 back or they're going to have to let me come to a game. So if I win the lottery and I'm, my tickets are approved, yes, I will be there. Um, I think maybe more what you're asking is there will be fans in the stands. No, I was just asking about you personally. Yeah, me personally. If, mm-hmm. if the opportunity comes, I'm going. Yes, absolutely. 100%. But the thing I can't say, I want to say true, but I can't 100% say true to that because I think I'm going to have to win a lottery to get there. Mm-hmm. And you know me, everyone around me knows me. I'm a big OU fan. I don't apply for media credentials because I want to be in the stands, not in the press box, but I'm not a big time donor. <laughs> and I think the big time, that's where you start with this thing is those big time donors. And that's not me. That's just, I, I'm, that's probably going to exclude me. So maybe I should say false. All right. We got to talk about Caleb Williams and Latrell McCutcheon and some of the other fallout of Oklahoma's big 4th of July weekend. As we wrap up the Sooner Nation podcast, he's rich and I'm Matt. Okay. So I want to add one more thing to our very first top of the show conversation. Um, this comes from Brandon uh, Marcello and I really can't tell you who Brandon Marcello is, but he does have the blue check marks. So that means he's somebody important. He says that the SEC coaches met this morning. Person involved in the call tells 24 seven sports that they had no idea a big 10 decision was coming out. And that the message from the SEC administration this morning is that the conference will wait as long as they can before making any decisions on the football season. So this idea that the SEC is just going to fall in line with the Big Ten. And if you're the Big Ten, you're you're putting yourself out there may, thinking maybe people will follow because the Big Ten does have a national title contender. We're going we're gonna to take this step and thinking that people will follow. But also the risk, the flip side of that is, is you're setting yourself out there to be by yourself. And that's just what, what that comes down to. And Who knows how that will turn out. Okay, Oklahoma gets some big news on 4th of July, as expected. Latrell McCutcheon uh, flipping from Alabama to come to the University of Oklahoma. We've talked about him in the true or false segment. So we're going to just say, good, good for you, Alex Grinch, and good for you, Latrell McCutcheon. And if if you're not down or understanding who this kid is, you need to go and find out what he was, the trash he was talking, not just with, again, not just with Texas fans, but with players as well. This kid from Austin, Texas, has a Baker Mayfield-like axe to grind against the University of Texas. But what's important about Latrell McCutcheon is that he was connected to Caleb Williams. He's one of the names that was synonymous with Caleb Williams and the commitment to the University of Oklahoma. Everybody knows at this point that Caleb Williams made his decision on Saturday night, 4th of July, to commit to the University of Oklahoma. It was the worst-kept secret in all of college football, but Caleb Williams now officially an Oklahoma commit with Latrell McCutcheon, which would lead you to believe that other guys who have been linked to Caleb Williams are maybe coming as well. Everyone says more is coming. 
but it's been pretty much cricket since Saturday night in Norman. Mason Smith puts Oklahoma. He's a defensive end or defensive tackle. I'm blanking on Mason Smith right now. Mason Smith um, puts Oklahoma in his top eight. And tackle. Tackle. Thank Sorry, you. Sorry, I had to Google that I one. I knew he was on the as defensive. As soon as you said that, yeah, I couldn't remember myself. I knew he was on the defensive line. And Damon Harmon sets his decision date for August 1st. Harmon's going to be a sooner. Uh, he's a guy that I feel confident in saying, here's another big-time commitment. And we talk about McCutcheon. Can you imagine getting McCutcheon and Harmon? These two guys coming in as freshmen and growing up and Alec with, under Alex Grinch, they will be a force to be reckoned with on the defensive side of the ball. His decision is coming August 1st. I think he's coming to the University of Oklahoma as well. And I think seeing Caleb Williams commit on Saturday night solidified that for Harmon because it wasn't too much long after that. He said, yep, my decision is made as well. Right. So, um, I mean, we're kind of – are you – excited not excited are you what is your thought on the pause because some people and maybe me thought it'd be more than mccutcheon and caleb williams yeah some people thought it's gonna be mccutcheon caleb williams and then bryce foster and you know and then so on and so on are you a little bit nervous that there's a pause uh i'm not nervous i did expect more on july 4th let's be honest when we sat here and we had a conversation about potential commitment who were linked in some way, shape, or form to Caleb Williams previously. All of a sudden, Caleb Williams talks about fireworks that I've used the term meteoric rise through the rankings for the Oklahoma Sooners. While that happened to an extent, it didn't happen to the extent I thought it would. Caleb Williams, obviously a big deal. I think other players do want their moment, though. And I don't know that they are wanting to be overshadowed by anyone at this point in time. So there's the pause to me isn't necessarily a pause as much as it is a standoff Mm -hmm. in saying, when's my moment going to come? I want to make sure family, friends, media outlets, anyone who can be involved, I I want them to be there because they're the ones who have helped me along this journey. I think others are coming. I think there's a wake almost as if there was a a second wave of recruits, if I can use that term, that will eventually be committing. Although it wasn't July 4th, I don't know that it'll happen in August either. I think there are some some recruits out there who are saying, I'm not committing because I want to take the- You want to take that visit. Exactly. I want to be on campus. Before actually saying yes, I want to make sure that this is a place it can look great virtually, but I want to make sure it's it's what I think it is before giving that verbal commitment and not necessarily signing on, but a hard commit to the whatever university that's going to be. And I think that's where Oklahoma is at. Again, it's not a pause per se. It's the standoff of just wanting my moment. So let me ask you this. Now that Caleb Williams is officially an Oklahoma commit. Do you turn your attention towards um, a guy like Emeka Egbuka, who is the biggest wide receiver name left out there, kind of unaccounted for? Or do you look think, okay, well, we got Mario Williams. We've got a, a young crop of receivers as mm-hmm. it is. I'm looking more at Tristan Lee and Bryce Foster. Where do you turn, as, as on the offensive side of the ball, where do you turn your attention to? I, I do like moving to the line, first and foremost, because without protection, It doesn't matter who you have in the backfield. We've seen that time and time again at different universities. Baylor being a good example, West Virginia, an even better example, that if you don't have an offensive line, your offense is really going to tank itself. I know, Matt, um, we sent in our rankings 
Um, I can't remember if those have been published at the time of recording this article. If they have not, I'm not going to spoil anything, but I can tell you West Virginia ranked 129th in yards per carry. That That's pretty dismal when it comes to the rankings, when it comes to that specific stat, and that's heavily dependent upon the offensive line. So again, I think you turn, because you have a Mario Williams, because you have a handful of other players that can fill different roles for you. You don't have any any big name offensive linemen signed up to play for the University of Oklahoma at this point. I turn towards that. Bryce Foster, Tristan Lee, the the two big names that you've mentioned are definitely a priority for me if I'm on this coaching staff. So defensively, you've got uh, defensive tackle taken care of. You've got you've definitely got defensive end taken care of. You've got Latrell McCutcheon on the corner. Well, can can I recount my statement sure now? You can. Yeah. Because the one position I totally forgot about was the running back. Well, I think Wheaton's about. I mean, he's he's about to solidify that. I, right. I, I don't think anybody Wheaton may is is maybe reaching Caleb Williams type status. In come on, man, just just get it out of the way. I feel as though. So when it comes to the recruiting, Wheaton has to be that priority. Samar Wheaton has to be the priority. But the offensive line, the two names we've already thrown out, are very close second for me. Okay, so defensively, where do you focus? Because uh, I, I think you've got you've got the safeties, you've got the corners, you've got the defensive linemen. So now we're looking at linebackers. I mean, sure. I I actually prefer tackles. Well, you got the number one JUCO defensive tackle. Yeah, but to me, when you begin to pull in JUCO recruits or JUCO prospects, it's not someone that. And and I've used this term before. It's not someone you I feel like you can truly go in and shape and mold. One, because of the limited time that you have with them. Two, you've also had a, a condensed off season this year. So any habits, any bad tendencies that they have are going to be difficult to shake. Not saying it can't be done, but they might be difficult to shake. I look at the defensive tackle position. You and I have now mentioned Mason Smith on this podcast. He's one of the biggest names out there, if not the biggest name at the position that Oklahoma is vying for the commitment of. Maybe defensively you turn your attention there. All right. I, I'm going to disagree. I'm going to say linebacker. And I also think uh, Marquise Hollywood-Brown would like to have a word with you about the development of JUCO guys at the Division One level. But, I mean, I'm just I, – I, we're not going to – I'm I'm not going to jump on board. With, I, I think you look at holes – Maybe you get Mason Smith and you're Look, hopeful, hopefully getting, but tell, can, can we back up? Because tell me a linebacker in this group. Marquise, I can't. Marquise Brown had some intangibles that you don't find every day. He was a Juco guy, though. He I was mean, a Juco you, guy. You, I'm not knocking all Juco guys. All I'm saying is just a defensive tackle. I feel as for you defensive the, tackle wise, 2019. Matt, Oh, sorry, 2020, you got the number one, number two, Juco defensive tackles. 2021, you got the number one, Juco. So, yes, these the, maybe the number 35 Juco defensive tackle is nothing special. But I think if you're the number one and number two, you got some potential. I'm saying these guys definitely have potential. I'm not going to argue that, but I view the Juco route more as a, as a stopgap than a permanent solution. It's to address an immediate need because you have no experience and no depth there. Okay. We'll agree to disagree. Uh, that's okay. Um, real quick, uh, we're going to talk about the uh, 24-7 sports with their beat writers doing their uh, their projections for the Big 12. But one thing that we haven't mentioned yet is um, the COVID test for Oklahoma this week revealed no new cases. And then you've got three cases that are done with. They've, they've recovered from the 14 last week. So you got five recoveries, no new cases, 
I, I, to, to me, this looks like, I mean, I don't know if I'm ready to say just after one week, but it looks like they're doing it the right way. Do you feel that way after this? Or do you think now it's too early to tell that, say that they're doing it the right way? I, I'm still up in the air about it. So I'm going to go with the latter okay. half of the option there. I mean, I just think you've got positive cases, 14, and then the second week, none, meaning your isolation techniques, at least for a week, are working. Mm-hmm. But again, you're right. It's it's too early. Okay. Well, and, and, and let me back up because I will say why. We don't have the names of those players that were tested. Do we know no. exactly what, what the procedure was there with them? As far as testing them? Well, the, the players who tested positive previously. Mm-hmm. What was the procedure? Were they quarantined? Oh, they had to have been, yeah. Or, I think that was. Or that, were they sent home? No, they weren't sent home. I'm I'm pretty confident they weren't sent home because you want them the the second they're and and mm-hmm. if they're asymptomatic, they're not going to have any physical limitations. Right, but you could still you would you would test positive even if you were asymptomatic. But what I'm saying is, if you're sick, like you got a you got a legitimate bout with this thing and this got you down, not only are you going to have to recover from the illness itself, then you're going to have to recover with physically getting your body back in shape after being down so hard. Mm-hmm. If you're asymptomatic, you don't have that second part. You're asymptomatic. You, you know, you deal with it for 10 to 14 days and then boom, you're out there practicing the minute you come back with a negative test. So because of that, I think they're still on campus. And then the cost, I mean, these are college kids, the cost of bringing a kid in from, from Maryland or wherever you're bringing them in from. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not like they're all from Oklahoma. So it's, I think the cost of sending them home, you, it's just better to, to isolate them, quarantine them, take care of them, and then bring them back as soon as they're ready to go. 24-7 Sports polled nearly five dozen beat writers for their opinions on the Big 12. Here's how it shakes out. I'm going to go ahead and give you one through 10. And there's a tie at number eight. And I, I would, I, I'd actually be interested to uh, to compare this when we're finished with twenty with the Heartland Sports with our rankings, but they've got um, number ten. They've got Kansas. I mean, who doesn't? Tied at number eight, West Virginia and Texas. Baylor number Texas Tech. Sorry, Texas Tech. Thank you. Baylor at number seven, Kansas State at number six, TCU coming in five, and then your top four are the Texas Longhorns, the Iowa State Cyclones, Oklahoma State, and Oklahoma. This looks a whole lot like just about every other preseason poll coming out about the Big 12, which begs the question, why is Texas still getting so much love? Why is Sam Ellinger still getting touted as a Heisman caliber quarterback? And the Longhorns, why are they getting talked about as a playoff team over Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, and Iowa State? Is it all about branding? It very well could be. The only... A secondary argument that I could offer outside of branding is that if everything goes right for Texas, they do have the potential to be there in those conversations. Sam Ellinger, if everything goes right for him as an individual player, the unquestioned leader of the Texas Longhorn football program, the do-it-all, the Swiss Army knife, will certainly be in the Heisman talks. But again, everything has to go right for them, and I don't know that it will especially given the turmoil that they've recently experienced are still experiencing. Correct. Correct. With Tom Herman at the helm. Okay. Two things, uh, two points to that. Um, number one, you can make the exact same argument for Iowa state, Oklahoma state and Oklahoma. Everything goes right. They're going to be playing in the playoffs. Could you not? Yeah. I, okay. I and mean, then, anyone who wins the Big 12 is going to have a shot at the college football playoff. Right. But, well, the point I'm making is you said if everything goes right with Texas, yes. Okay. Right. Well, if, everything, meant, if everything goes right with, with 
these other three schools as well. So there's that caveat there. And then number two, Sam Ellinger is not a Swiss Army knife because he's not a do-everything guy. He's he, going to have to be this he, year. Well, then they're going to fail because he can't. The more you throw with Sam Ellinger, the more you're, the, the higher your chances of losing are going to be. A Swiss Army knife is a guy like Kyler Murray. Kyler Murray could beat you I just as well running as he could throwing. Sam Ellinger can't do that. That's, I mean, I look, I'm always going to hate Texas. I'm always going to find a way <laughs> to get those digs. Was there anything in here that surprised you? I, I think I'm not surprised, but I think there would be people surprised to see Baylor down as low as number seven. Yeah, I would agree with that. Knowing that they competed in granted, we do have to take this, take a step back when we begin to look at Baylor because they weren't expected to be where they were last year. They exceeded Everything that was placed before them, they exceeded it. And Mm -hmm. I think a large portion, you've alluded to this in the past, a large portion of why they were capable of doing that was the direction of Matt Rule. There was something that he was able to instill in these players, and it it may be there, it may not be there. I definitely think preseason they deserve to be in the top half, not at number seven, even despite their offensive line struggles that they've had keeping Charlie Brewer healthy. I, I know that all of that exists, but I still f- I still felt as though they were worthy of being in the top five because of the talent that they seem to have every single year at the skill positions. New coach, man, and I think that's going to be the, that's, that's the could, big question mark. It could be the biggest downfall, but it, they could ride that same wave of success, ride into the national, not national, excuse me, Big 12 championship picture. All right, so here's my, my last thought on this. I think Kansas State at number six is way too optimistic. You got any okay. thoughts on that? No. I, I think Kansas. And, and I really I, feel like, I know what features you're looking at when it comes Kansas to Kansas State, State. Kansas State's more of an eight, nine, or ten than there's, a six. There's a lot of question marks there. I I get that. I don't know that they have the ability to dominate the time of possession like they have done in the past as well, right. which is a huge setback for them in my opinion because that was really their bread and butter. That's gone. With this new regime that's in there, I think a lot of those features, a lot of those aspects of Kansas State football, not necessarily the physicality, but as I mentioned, that that time of possession, that style of play is slowly going to dissipate as they attempt to evolve into this spread offense. They're just not there yet. Yeah, and you know, I lied. I have another thought because I said Kansas State's more of a uh, eight, nine, or ten. Then they are number six. And I look down tied for eighth because you have a tie for eighth. That means it's next to last is Texas Tech. Mm-hmm. I think the Red Raiders are way being overlooked. And I don't, these are 24 7 sports beat writers. Right. So maybe they know something that I don't, but I would put, I would, I would put Texas Tech at number five on this list. I would honestly. shuffle, I would shuffle it myself as well and begin to drop TCU. Right. Okay, so that's going to wrap it up for us. Speaking of offensive line, though, that uh, Richard just mentioned a few minutes ago, um, early in the week, we'll have our Big 12 rankings for the offensive line. Um, that's going to be that's going to be the money position in 2020, if you ask my opinion. Hey, thanks so much for listening. Again, would always love to hear from you. Uh, those of you that send us emails and tweets, we do really appreciate it, and we try to reply back to any and all of them as much as we can. You can hit us up on Twitter, at SportsHeartland. We can always be emailed heartland underscore sports yahoo.com. And then you can find us on the web, heartland-sports.com. Have a great week, everybody. Boomer Sooner. <laughs>